Hey, welcome back. This is Keith from risingstronger.com. Today, we're going to talk about seven underlying physiological causes of slash contributors to depression and what you can do about them. Okay, so the first thing that needs to be said when it comes to depression, first of all, this is not, or even before, first of all, this is not medical advice. This is for informational purposes only. So please take that for what it's worth. If you're seriously depressed, this probably isn't for you yet. This is more for somebody who's functioning, who's, you know, doing okay overall, but just struggling with feeling down and, you know, unmotivated, depressed, but, um, you know, not necessarily something like suicidal depression or a very deep depression. If that is you, please seek appropriate help. Um, but the first thing I want to say about depression is that depression is a symptom. I think that's the most important thing that anybody that struggles with their mental health or feels like they struggle with depression can internalize is that depression is a symptom, not a cause. There can be a million different causes of depression. And that's why the tendency and even our understanding of medicating depression, the tendency to want to medicate depression um, so quickly, which is part of my past experience and that I see a lot in people that I work with and just in general, is often skipping over all of the things that that could potentially resolve the real underlying issues and going to something that, uh, you know, often just masks the symptoms. And, you know, for some people, it helps temporarily or they help. For a lot of people, there are, you know, significant side effects and, and a lack of efficacy. Again, I'm saying this from my experience personally and with, you know, working with other people. But we have to understand that depression is a symptom, just like a headache is a symptom. And you can see when you, when you kind of understand this, you see in our culture that there's correlations in so many different areas with how we treat discomfort and pain and things like that. And why I say headache is like most people, when you think of a headache, think of like Tylenol or Advil or something like that. So you're just medicating a symptom. A headache is a symptom. A headache can be from dehydration. It can be from again, like a million different reasons, but it is not from a Tylenol deficiency. And similarly, depression is not from a medication deficiency, even though there was a long period of time where unfortunately the medical system kind of framed it unintentionally or not, or intentionally or not, that, you know, there was just a gap that needed to be filled, but it, it's not that simple. So understanding that it's a symptom, then you want to think about what could be causing it. And again, there's a lot of different things. And this is not to say when I talk about physiological issues, it's not to say that there aren't situational and, you know, psychological reasons. Maybe we're going through something difficult that we, you know, feel depressed. But even oftentimes with that, especially when it's drawn out, it it is exacerbated by existing underlying physiological issues. And even if they're not there to begin with, they often come along with the stress and the, you know, the way that we live when we feel depressed. So this stuff can be relevant either way. And if you're not familiar even with how physiologically, you know, or how our physiology can impact our psychology, 
it's what we're going to talk about, but it's another extremely important thing to understand is just that our, our body and mind are two sides of the same coin. And we have to look at both. Anytime we have an issue with either one, when we have physical health issues, there usually is stuff that we need to address psychologically, emotionally, things like that. And vice versa. When we have mental health issues, we need to be looking at our physiology, our physical health, our body. So we're going to get into seven things. I'm going to explain briefly what they are. And then I'm just going to give a few things that if you can relate to that, or if this is something that you feel like applies to you, that you can try to do to improve those symptoms. Again, this is for informational purposes only. I'm not saying that these things are going to fix your depression. I can't diagnose or treat in any way, but I can help you potentially address some of the underlying imbalances that may be affecting your mental state. And all of these things are connected, like significantly interconnected. You'll see as we go through them that, you know, some of the things apply to all of them to some degree or multi, like some of the tips that I have will apply to helping with different imbalances and that the imbalances tend to overlap with one another. One will cause the other, the other will worsen the first and so on. So let's get started. The first is nutrient deficiencies. Nutrients, as I like to explain, are the building blocks for the brain and body to function properly and optimally. And when we're deficient in nutrients, there's a ton of different you know issues that we can run into. But when it comes to our mental health, nutrients play a big role in a, a bunch of different processes. And when you look at the modern world and how we live and what we eat and how most of us, I'm 34, if you're even anywhere within my general age range, most of us have grown up antibiotics, junk food, like sugary sodas, excess stress, you know, all of it, it all plays into nutrient deficiencies. So I, I think that it's good for anybody really, but if you're at the point that you, you know, are struggling with something like depression or anxiety, um, to can, to just assume that you're deficient in some degree in, in nutrients. And what you can do about this is eat a variety of nutrient dense foods, things like liver, oysters, free range eggs, bone broth, um, you know, good, high quality meats, high quality vegetables for more on the nutrient or nutrient dense foods. I have, I've mentioned it on other videos, a high mileage foods guide. It's, it's the nine foods that I think are, you know, you don't want to only eat these nine foods, but the nine foods that I think that people should be eating regularly to ensure that they're covering not only a nutritional basis, but some of the nutrients that are harder to get if you're not really paying attention to what you're eating. So it has nine of those foods plus a whole handful of ingredients and foods to avoid if you feel like you're you know, struggling with your mental health. So you can check that out. But eating nutrient-dense foods, considering supplementing with a digestive enzyme, that can help your body to properly break down nutrients. You can also try something like apple cider vinegar, just a like a capful in a glass of water or a few ounces of water prior to a meal can help to increase your stomach acid to break down food properly. Most people that think they have, you know, issues with acidity or like indigestion and things like that often actually need more stomach acid, not less. And the use of things like uh, antacids can actually lead to feeling depressed, lead to digestive issues that, you know, can influence and lead to depression. 
So those are a couple ways to increase uh, our you know, ability to actually assimilate nutrients. It's not just about eating the food. We have to actually break it down properly and you know, digest it properly. Um, you can get your blood, uh, blood nutrient levels checked. I think that for anybody who, you know, my first move, if I were really struggling with depression and I were stuck and didn't know what to do, if I was really stuck, if I had tried all this other stuff, because I think a lot of this can, can take the burden off and help, um, for most people to feel a lot better, but I would go to a functional medicine doctor of some sort, get a full panel of blood work and stool testing, things like that. It's stuff that your average doctor, your psychiatrist, all these things, they don't think about this stuff. They're not going to think to look at, but these are the real issues oftentimes that people are dealing with. Um, and then additional components are to manage stress. When we're stressed, it impacts our digestion. Um, we can do that through breathing, which we'll you know, talk about more. I'll plug here if you haven't seen my video on how to relearn to diaphragmatically breathe. You might want to check that out. Uh, but diaphragmatic breathing is incredibly important for our stress and, you know, our nervous system and getting our body into a state where we can digest, we can relax, we can sleep, et cetera. Number two is digestive health and gut issues and imbalances. And again, it goes back to what I was saying. Most of us that are you know, if you're even generally within my age range of like 34, above or below, you probably grew up with antibiotics, junk food, caffeine, excess stress, lots of sitting, um, you know, a whole host of things that over time really just does a number on our digestive health. So most people have gut issues. If you have mental health issues, I think it's safe to assume, you know, if you're struggling with your mental health, it's safe to assume you have gut issues and imbalances. What you can do about that, and well, let's say the reason that it can impact is our gut is responsible for breaking down, you know, and converting some of the nutrients into, might not be wording that the best, but essentially creating the neurotransmitters or the precursors to neurotransmitters that we need for our brain to function properly. When we have leaky gut, let's say, or, you know, gut issues, we're creating a bunch of, you know, toxic buildup that can seep out or even undigested food particles or partially digest digested food particles seeping out of our intestines into our bloodstream, which circulates to our brain. There's a ton of reasons why your digestion is absolutely critically important for mental health. And if you struggle with your digestion, you struggle with your mental health, I would start there in trying to improve it. But what you can do is cut out processed foods for sure. Cut out processed foods, especially white processed sugar, refined sugar, processed refined table salt, white flour, and pasteurized dairy. Those four things, especially, you know, maybe yogurt for some people would be okay. Nutrition's a very long, uh, arduous thing to to kind of understand, you know, what might be right for one person and not another based on you know, their genetics, their situation, their budget, their time, all that stuff. So I'm not getting into that here, but pasteurized dairies like regular milks, cheeses that are, um, you know, have additives and come from poor sourcing and things like that, I think are worth cutting out. And then again, like the nutrient dense foods are going to help with digestion. 
ideally for the most part that that is true for most people supplementing with an enzyme uh, using apple cider vinegar those can both help to assist in digestion and then going back to managing stress we want to manage our stress levels because when we're stressed the blood and energy goes away from our digestive system and out to our limbs and our extremities because our bodies and our brains think that we may have to run away or fight you know some wild animal or person or whatever so it's very important to manage our stress levels learn to manage stress and especially when we're going to eat to try to unwind a little bit and uh down regulate let's say shift our nervous system down into a relaxed relaxed state so that our body is receptive and ready to digest and then you may even want to consider you know for some people even quote unquote healthy foods like too much fiber can be uh challenging and cause issues if you're if you have you know an overload of bad bacteria too much red meat could be challenging although again these things can go both ways it can get complicated but i think a good rule of thumb is focusing on cooking foods at least making foods easy to digest eating nutrient dense energy rich easy to digest foods um which again some of those are on the high mileage foods list but um thinking in that context can help improve digestion. The third is toxic overload. For sure, like toxicity, when our body becomes overburdened or even is, you know, struggling to deal with the levels of toxicity that we're uh, faced with, it will impact, you know, everything about us, our mood, our energy, our mental health, um, anxiety and depression, for instance, and issues with concentration and whatnot can very much be uh, related to toxicity in our body, which often winds up in our brain. Our body stores, especially certain toxins like heavy metals in fat tissue. And our brain, you know, our brain is made up of fat to a degree. So, it, you know, our body can be storing things in our brain. But this is why things like sweating regularly. I think if you have access to a sauna, if you can get a sauna, if you have a sauna at your gym, can be really useful and impactful. Something that, as I say it, I realize I have a, a little personal sauna I haven't used in a while, but it's something that, you know, I swear by. I think it really, really helps. And the sauna in general just has a significant mood boosting, energizing effect as well. But sweating regularly, when you sweat, you're taking the burden off your digestive system. We sweat out toxins or we, you know, we excrete toxins through our sweat. Stop using, this is the second component of helping with toxicity, stop using toxic chemical-laden products on your body and in your house. Anything you breathe in, like that that's, I believe, the number one way that we, you know, become overburdened with toxins is breathing in, uh, you know, th through our lungs. But if you're using cleaning products, scented candles, Febreze types of things, scented laundry detergents, all of this stuff point blank is no good. Like it's, you should get rid of it. That's, that's a, I believe that firmly. And it's an easy thing. Like there are even studies recently showing that household cleaning products may be worse than secondhand smoke. So if you think about that from like, again, what most of us grow up in, like it's not necessarily anyone's fault, but we've all been exposed to lots of this in schools and houses, et cetera. 
So you have that side of it, and then you have the part of it that we're putting on our skin, deodorants, body soaps, shampoos, things like that, body sprays. Find ones that are free of aluminum. Like, you know, if you're going to go to a place like Whole Foods or something like that, not all of them are even that great. And oftentimes they are a little more expensive. You can make a deodorant, let's say, up like coconut oil, charcoal, essential oil, something like that. Um, but it's worth finding one that's like not your typical, you know, pharmacy brand deodorants and body washes and things like that. When you're putting that on your skin and when you're smelling all of that residue, like that is chemicals that those are chemicals that smell is coming from chemicals that like you don't want to be lingering on your skin anything that goes on the skin will go in the body to some degree the next one is drinking enough water helping you know drinking enough water is uh there's a saying the best i think paul check says this the best solution for pollution is dilution so drinking enough water can just help us to flush out toxins making sure that you're going to the bathroom regularly so if you're constipated in any way this applies back to mental health very much so but if you're constipated not going regularly getting that going uh, again through drinking water cutting out junk foods cutting out difficult to digest foods for some people increasing fiber some people decreasing fiber um you know there's a number of ways to kind of get that going but really important Activated charcoal can be a good, uh, can help with detoxification too. Taking that a couple of times a week, activated charcoal is an adsorbent. So it just, you know, we, we ingest it either in a glass of water or take the capsules and it goes in and basically draws toxins toward it, which we then excrete out through our poop. Um, but doing that a couple of days a week, I think can be very helpful in improving gut health and helping just to clear you know, toxins that may be lingering. And, you know, if you have gut health issues, if you have things like gas, bloating, uh, IBS, even constipation, it can be really helpful to clear out the toxins that result from all of these things. That's a big one for me in my journey is using charcoal, you know, properly uh, has been very helpful. And then the last one on this list is supporting your liver. So you can, you know, there's a number of ways that you can support your liver. One of them is eating or supplementing with eating liver or supplementing with desiccated beef liver. Um, but like supports like is kind of the understanding with that. And eating liver supplies a lot of the nutrients that our livers need to function properly and even regenerate if they're not functioning properly. You can do things in addition for liver like dandelion salads or teas, milk thistle. I mean, you could go to any kind of health food store and look at liver support. And I wouldn't necessarily go straight to this, although some people might want to, but this is just something to consider, especially if you're, you know, improving your nutrition and doing these other things and you still feel like, you know, you have no energy and whatnot. It can be good to think about supporting detoxification. And one last one I'll add on here that I think is good. And, and as I say it too, it's kind of something that it's time for me to do again, something that I used to do regularly in the past, but is doing something like a parasite cleanse. We all have, you know, an overload of, or, or build up an overload of microbes and 
you know, parasites, like it's, it's nasty to think about in some sense, but it's the reality for, you know, for everybody, we all have it. It's a matter of, is it in balance or is it out of balance and doing something like a, like a cleanse, a parasite cleanse regularly can just help to kind of keep that in check. The next one is hormonal imbalances, which, you know, again, a lot like hormonal imbalances can, and, and especially when you think about like thyroid and our, that the health of our thyroid, which is going to play into the next one as well, metabolic or the last one, metabolic dysfunctions. Um, you know, our hormones absolutely influence the way that we feel. You're a guy, I'm assuming, um, or or since I'm, you know, speaking to men, things like testosterone are really important for our sense of motivation, our sense of, you know, feeling accomplished when we do things. And it goes both ways. Everything's bi-directional. Um, you know, having adequate testosterone is important for motivation and doing things helps to, you know, accomplishing tasks and whatnot plays a role in our testosterone, our dopamine levels, all of these things that help us to feel satisfied, well, you know, good, comfortable in our own skin, things like that. All this plays a role. But to help with hormones in a general sense, hormones can be extremely complicated and I am by no means an expert on it, but sleeping, prioritizing sleep, which I, I said in the beginning, all of this stuff is going to kind of link together. But prioritizing sleep, sleep impacts our ability to digest food. It impacts our gut health. You know, it all of these are interconnected. But getting enough sleep is critically important for our mental health, our hormonal health. So if if you're not sleeping well, if you have trouble with sleep, I have another podcast called How to Fix and Optimize Your Sleep. It it goes pretty in depth in terms of practical lifestyle within reach things that you can do to improve your sleep quality and quantity. Um, getting time outside sunlight is really important for our hormonal health. It may be worth checking vitamin D levels. They, you know, vitamin D plays a role in testosterone and, you know, vitamin D is, is, is a hormone really. Um, but checking vitamin D levels, but we really want to be getting enough natural sunlight Again, managing stress plays a big role in our hormone levels and excessive stress can throw everything off, create, you know, havoc or wreak havoc on our hormones. Um, we want to be getting adequate exercise, but interestingly, exercise is something that if you overdo it, it can certainly impact your hormones negatively and everything else. And overdoing it might not be as overdoing it as we think. It might not be like somebody who's running a marathon all the time. Essentially, it's overdoing it if you're if you're exerting more than your body's able to recover from. And for a lot of people that that can be true, people who are into, you know, working out and doing things like that, we put a lot of emphasis on the the doing, the getting in the working out, and not enough in the recovery and the sleeping in the, you know, down regulating the nervous system and the working in to allow our body to, you know, rebuild. So Sufficient movement is really important and monitoring excessive movement or working out is uh, also important. Um, but walking, you know, walking for, for all of this, for nutrient, for, for, well, digestion, digestion, improving digestion, improving gut health, um, 
hormones. Walking is very important after a meal. It can be a really good way to um, help with digestion. And then, you know, for hormones, also blood sugar balance, which is going to be another one of the physiological, you know, underlying causes, but eating two and a half, eating every two and a half to four hours of balanced meal or snack helps us to regulate our blood sugar, avoiding carbohydrates on their own, going for walks after meals or moving after meals if possible. And then the last one for hormonal is again, breathing, learning to breathe because our breathing can be the, the way that we regulate our nervous system. If we're breathing unconsciously, if we're not breathing deliberately, let's say, we're probably breathing in a dysfunctional way and doing that near 24 hours a day. It, again, it impacts everything, our digestion, our sleep, our, you know, our, our energy levels, our mood, mental health. So a, another big plug for relearning how to breathe properly and giving it proper attention. The next one is dysregulated blood sugar, our blood sugar, Jim, I mentioned just a minute ago in the hormonal um, component our blood sugar, when it's dysregulated, right in the short term, can can seriously impact energy, mood, outlook on life. Um, you know, can cause feelings of depression and anxiety, racing mind issues with concentration. So we want to be. Most people don't think about this. It's it's very rare that I work with somebody who actually eats either enough throughout the day, balanced when they do eat or frequently enough. So quantity throughout the day, quantity, or, you know, not going too long in between eating. And when they do eat, it's balanced. And this impacts our mental health for sure, point blank. So learning how to balance meals that work for you, which, you know, can vary a little bit individually, but universally is probably going to be not eating like junk food, not eating carbs by themselves. And, you know, maybe like a lot of people could probably get away with like a good piece of whole fruit or something like that, but not a donut, a piece of toast or like a bread or, um, you know, a pastry that is, you know, what causes these rises and falls in blood sugar levels, which, um, you know, just are, are not good for us, uh, mentally or physically. So eating regularly, eating balanced, apple cider vinegar, again, it goes back to connecting with digestion. Um, apple cider vinegar with meals can help to regulate blood sugar. Uh, getting enough exercise and movement. I said this with the hormonal, but especially after eating, moving or going for a walk can help to keep our blood sugar from spiking, improve our digestion, all of that. And then even lights at night can impact blood sugar and in the morning. So, it, you know, it, it's worth just as a general habit for mental health, I think not using your phone before you get natural light and not using your phone at night. So in the morning, using the phone, instead of getting like sunlight, let's say the blue light in our phone can cause cortisol levels to rise faster than they normally should. Whereas if we get natural light, it's sort of, it, it has a much more uh, gradual impact on our cortisol, which when that happens, when we have excessive stress hormones that can impact our blood sugar. So even though it may not seem related, the way that we use light and especially our cell phones and screens, since we're all, you know, we all 
most of us are using them excessively, it's important to understand how to use them properly so that they're not impacting these, you know, other areas of our lives, which they are for most people. But same thing at night, not using screens too close to bed as that can impact your hormones. It can impact blood sugar levels. It can cause a rise in stress hormones, which can cause a drop in blood sugar, which can cause you to have trouble falling asleep or waking up in the middle of the night. Um, many different things. It's interesting once you see how all of this is just connected. And again, see how what I was alluding to in the beginning, how when we see what we're actually doing in the modern world, like the way that most people are living, it becomes like you can see why we have so many people who are stressed out to the max, struggling with their mental health, have no energy, gaining weight, etc. Like there are reasons. And when we course correct, a lot of these reasons will just naturally or a lot of these symptoms will just naturally settle back into their natural place. It doesn't mean they always go away. Like all of these things are natural parts of being humans. It's when they get, you know, when we're overrun by stress, anxiety, depression, sleep issues, et cetera, that, you know, that it becomes problematic. The sixth one, second to last is sleep. Sleep is so important for our mental health. Our mental health, I mean, sleep plays a big role in our ability or in our brain's ability to clean itself, which is a thing our brain at night ideally is going in and detoxifying. Our brain has its own immune system in a sense. But when we're not sleeping enough or not sleeping deeply, or even when we're, I mean, it would kind of correlate with deeply, but when we're impacting our sleep hormone melatonin, let's say through not getting enough sunlight, using a phone at night, this is all impacting our body's ability to cleanse or our brain's ability to cleanse itself or body too, and regenerate and heal and stay well. But sleep plays a huge role in our mental and emotional resilience, in our energy and our mood and our outlook. And we really want to try to bypass sleep. I see it with so many people and it's tempting and it's hard. Like sleep is challenging. We have a almost two-year-old and, you know, sleep isn't always easy these days, but um, learning how to optimize your sleep is one of the best things that you can do for your mental health. And to be direct, if you're not willing to make these lifestyle changes, but especially when sleep, like if you're staying up, watching TV or playing video games or watching like YouTube videos or something, you are, even though you may not know it or mean to be doing this, you are saying, I want to impact my mental health. I I am voting for my brain and body not to function as well as they could and potentially lead to, you know, these issues. So it's really worth taking seriously that like we can't bypass getting good sleep or any of these other things and expect to function properly and show up fully um so no screens at night for sleep i don't even know if i touched on screens for sleep but i did enough in in blood sugar so hopefully you get the idea with screens but if you have to be on a screen at night using blue light blocking glasses can at least help to mitigate it and using like the f dot lux on your computers or um like the night shift on your phone is at least a step in the right direction. But again, ideally just not using them. Getting enough movement in throughout the day plays a significant role in our quality of sleep. There are studies that that showing that even like 30 minutes of a moderate uh, paced walk significantly helps sleep that day. 
both the ability to fall and stay asleep, but moving throughout the day, as I preach often, like getting in, yeah, a couple of workouts a week for sure, getting in some walks and then just in between, you know, tasks, doing a few pushups, doing squats. When you go to the bathroom, do some lunges, crawl, rock, do the original strength resets if you're familiar. Um, all of this throughout the day will help to improve quality of sleep. Um, and then a bedtime snack. If you especially struggle with falling asleep and staying asleep, you know, it's important and something that I, you know, have had to assess in my own life. If you're going to have a bedtime snack, which goes against the typical advice of not eating anywhere near bed, which I don't think is good advice, especially for people who have sleep issues. If you're sleep, if you do that and you sleep fine, then don't change anything. But if you have sleep issues and that's what you do, stop eating hours before bed is what I mean. Then it could be worth having a bedtime snack because that can help to lower stress hormones, balance blood sugar, um, et cetera. The important things with this is number one, it shouldn't be too big or it, it's going to impact your sleep. It needs to be easy to digest, which is going to vary from person to person. So it needs to be something that your body doesn't find irritating or your digestion, your gut doesn't find irritating or difficult to digest. For me, what seems to work really well is a cup of raw milk and like a teaspoon, teaspoon and a half of raw honey. I sleep well when I do that. If I try to do other things or I eat something too heavy, oftentimes I wind up struggling to fall asleep or um, I wake up and the waking up in the middle of the night can be from gut irritation when we're, when we're eating something or if you're eating something close to bed or even throughout the day, it can go back into the day that is irritating the gut. This can trigger certain processes that trigger stress hormones to be released or, you know, there, there's a number of ways that it can um like affect us physiologically, but essentially, if you start by having something that's easy to digest, there's a sleep smoothie recipe. Let's start here. You can, you can try Dr. Leslie Korn, K-O-R-N sleep smoothie. You can Google that. We can put it in the show notes, but there's a little concoction of things that it's not going to work perfectly for everybody but it has some sleep enhancing and relaxing, relaxing ingredients that, um, you know, just for, for somewhere to start, you can try, but you could also try something like milk and honey or a little bit of raw cheese or Parmigiano Reggiano cheese and a couple pieces of fruit or a little bit of honey on that. Those are sort of the, when I say like small, easy to digest the, the places that I tend to go with, uh, what I think of. The last one, the seventh on the list is just overall metabolic dysfunction, which again, encompasses essentially all of this stuff. But um, I'm highlighting it here because a lot of people like top professionals, it's not the narrative in kind of the mainstream mental health world, but a lot of people believe that the reason for, or the, you know, the, the underlying causes for me mental health issues or the reasons for mental health issues are metabolic, not necessarily like, I mean, maybe at some points there's chemical levels that are off and whatnot, but you know, that's all pretty questionable, but essentially metabolic, our body's ability to like go through the processes that it needs to do what it needs to do to stay well. So 
when you think of mental health in this way, when you think of mental health symptoms as metabolic issues, as an issue with our body's ability to process properly or, or to go through what it needs to do properly, you look at all of this stuff that we're talking about, you look at everything to do with lifestyle and you realize that if you really want to improve your mental health, if you want to increase your capacity to feel satisfied and happy and driven and motivated and, you know, calm at the right times and all of that. We need to think about creating the environment both internally and externally is what I like to say that is actually conducive to those things. And just the first step in understanding this is seeing that most of the things that we do, the ways that we live in the modern world the commonalities of how we eat, don't sleep, don't move, don't hydrate properly, don't get enough time outside, don't you know breathe properly. Um, all of this stuff, it impacts our body and brain in a way that you look around and you see the results, but we've normalized it because so many people are struggling with these things. But metabolic dysfunction can you know, and, and all this is incorporated, but can be blood sugar issues, thyroid issues, hormonal imbalances. Um, you know, it's a wide ranging topic, but we need to just be thinking about improving our metabolic health. And to do that, it needs to be, we eat well. And sometimes that's not straightforward, but at least starting with eating real whole foods, at least 80% of the time. And optimizing, you know, down from there, learning what works for me from for you from there and moving enough. Like we need enough exercise. We don't want to overdo it. Like I was saying, but you shouldn't be scared because most people are nowhere near overdoing it. That would be like the, you know, like the, the athlete who's going crazy doing things or somebody who's, you know, kind of like addicted in that sense to going to the gym all the time or whatever, but we need to be eating well. We need to be moving. We need to be breathing properly. We need to be hydrating. We need to get outside, get our feet on the ground, get in the sunlight. We need to be sleeping enough. We need to be supporting our body in detoxifying. I didn't mention it with the toxic overload part, but like our, our modern world is just so, so much more toxic than it used to be. We have so many more chemicals increasing every single year that we're exposed to. So just knowing how to navigate these things, I'm telling you from my experience and from seeing other people, like it can have a shift that that changes completely your internal state, which impacts your external state. And sure, doing things externally to improve your life are going to have an impact on your internal state as well. That's why I'm saying work to create an environment both internally and externally that's more conducive to where you want to be and you know how you want to live. And how you want to feel. Um, so yeah, it it's essentially understanding that, you know, we have to take responsibility for these things. And, you know, I I'm a firm believer at this point. I've worked with and under and alongside some of the top mental health experts in, you know, in the area that I live in, like psychiatrists and therapists and stuff. And every one of them is a, you know, well-intentioned, good person so far as I can tell, but even like the top people, even the psychiatrists, just this is not what they're educated on. There is a very specific 
incomplete at best, false at worst paradigm of kind of how we go about seeing mental health that it tends to oftentimes do more harm than good or do as much harm as good. And so you, you, it's not a safe uh, venture to rely on like a professional solely. Again, if you need help, if you need therapy, if you're like at a really bad place and need to be stabilized, that's a different story. And that's not, you know, that's not something that I will go into or can speak on. Um, but for most people, it's a matter of even unknowingly poor lifestyle habits, physiological issues and imbalances, poor ability, or like, let's say lack of optimal skill in terms of how we relate to our thoughts and relate to ourselves and how we relate to other people. This is where like therapy can certainly come in handy, but there's a lot of things too. If you're uh, in that respect, this book, A Liberated Mind can be a really good one by Stephen C. Hayes, um, who is the founder of ACT and gives some very effective psychological tools that I've talked about in other videos that can really help in that department. But again, I'm not, I'm not voting for or against professional help. I'm just saying that people, you should understand that if you choose to go that route, it's incomplete at best. And these are all things that you likely won't hear, but that you need to consider if you want to, you know, improve your mental health and quality of life and physical health as well. So Thank you for listening, number one. Number two, if you feel like you need personalized guidance, this is part of what I do in my job and career is, is health coaching for people who are struggling with their mental health. So if you want to learn to optimize your food intake, you know your lifestyle habits, get all that dialed in and on track in what could be such a powerful way. I mean, I, I love what I do in this way and it can be so powerful and effective. But if you feel like you need personalized guidance, you can go to risingstronger.com and sign up for a free 20-minute breakthrough call where we'll discuss if coaching would be a good fit, kind of get an idea of where you're at and you know where you ideally would like to be. And then number two, I referred in the beginning to the nutrient component of all of this. I have, or I, I mentioned as well, the guide to circle back, go to risingstronger.com. If you haven't, you can download for free my high mileage foods guide, nine of the best foods for supporting nutri nutrients across the board, helping with energy, helping with motivation, helping with clarity, helping to fill in the gaps so that we can hopefully avoid or overcome anxiety, feeling depressed, things like that, as well as the foods that you don't want to be eating. This is such a simple first step. I think a lot of people overlook it, but it's within our control to change what and how we eat. And starting with what we can control can help to get the ball rolling and, you know, lead to the next habit, to the next habit. And before you know it, you're feeling a lot better. You have momentum, but taking the burden off, I think should always be the first step or the way that we think about it, taking some of the burden off of what is overloading us and, food can be one of those ways to do it. And it's how you're designed to, to live, you know, the way that we eat and how we eat in the modern world is not how we're designed. It's not how we've evolved over many years to eat or what to eat. So, um, 
yeah, it's worth considering that that could be a place to start if you haven't already. So check that out on my website. Thank you again for listening and I'll talk to you again soon.